Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Talk About is a professional development podcast for educators who are teaching Jewish things in Jewish schools. We're your hosts, Jen Stern-Granowitz and Aaron Beezer, Jewish educators from New York City. Hey, Jen. Today, we are talking about gender and how we speak about gender in the Jewish community in particular. For me, I came to being a parent with this knowledge that gender is a social construct. And we put a lot of our own stuff about gender onto kids. And I see how quickly my kids have internalized their social idea of gender, right? That boys are allowed to have anger and energy and girls are expected to play quietly and nicely. Every toy that came for my daughter, this being in 2020, was actually still pink and soft. Like there were no hard edges, nothing to take apart or like click together or gears or anything. And at the same time, she was bombarded with books about strong women, women of color, all kinds of women throughout history who were leaders and who pushed their gender expectations of how we think women should be. And my son received no books, zero books about men being emotional and sensitive and collaborative and, you know, human, zero So I struggle with this as a parent and an educator because I have this value of raising my kids, all of our kids, to be, as the great Glennon Doyle says, the truest, most authentic versions of themselves. And that includes their gender diversity. And for me, that means being really flexible with this idea that gender can be fluid, not only because if my kid came out to me as transgendered, I would just love the stuffing out of them regardless, but also because I think there's real value in expressing all of the parts of ourselves, not being limited by any constraints that society places on us to fit into these neat little boxes. I am totally with you. These gender roles and stereotypes, I agree with you, begin at birth. And as a parent, as an educator, I definitely could use some help. Before having kids, I didn't want to believe some of the gender stereotypes, but I have two girls. Obviously, stereotypes are still stereotypes, but we have blocks and we have trucks, but their favorite toys in the moment are Barbies, you know, with all the books and all the blocks and all the things that do have gears. That's their toy of choice. I didn't teach them that. Also, just sort of wonder how all this um, has come to be all the pink and all the dolls and how much of it is just innate and how much of it was socialized by the toys people gave them. And like I said, I could use some help too. In addition to being a parent as a Jewish professional, what I see on the surface level, at least at Park Island Synagogue where I work is that most people, and I, I know I'm generalizing, so keep that in mind as I continue, but most people that I interact with seem comfortable in their gender roles. Most people I meet who look female identify as female, and most of those women are coupled with men who look and identify as male. And maybe that is a true representation of the demographics on the Upper East Side, or maybe there's a quiet concern 
that this homogeneity of our synagogue inhibits true gender diversity and fluidity that members of our community might aspire to have if we could be more vocal and I would say more comfortable about this aspect of inclusivity. You know, by way of example, it's not currently part of our culture in the in at least the congregational school to ask preferred pronouns in our registration form. And saying that out loud right now, it definitely should be. <laughs> we already have our format for the for this current up, upcoming school year, but we will change that moving forward. But just kind of by way of example, how we integrate, you know, the way we acknowledge gender and how we just sort of assume that everyone's comfortable in their gender roles. Yeah, for me, I have a sort of a, an embarrassing memory that I'll share in order to learn from. I'm going back 10 years now, and I was leading little kids Shabbat services. And so we would say, you know, if you want to lead boys, stand up. Now girls stand up. And it was just a really easy way to divide the room and make it really clear, you know, who should participate in this moment and who should wait. And then, you know, as this idea of gender diversity became more normative, I started to shift the language. And I would say, if you self-identify as female, stand up. And I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say that, that people would laugh. Like it was a joke. It was clear how uncomfortable this idea was at the time, that there would be folks in the community that could challenge the idea of what was perceived as normal at that time. And of course, it didn't even occur to us that there could be kids in the room who didn't identify with either gender, male or female. And so by not giving them a choice, we weren't creating a space or a voice for them. So this moment actually kind of haunts me, both as the beginning of normalizing the idea of gender diversity in the Jewish community and how cringeworthy this moment is now that the work is never ending and that we are always needing to push ourselves as a community to constantly reevaluate and refine how inclusive we are truly being. Not just this idea of ourselves as an inclusive place, but the reality of what inclusion, including others, actually means. And how uncomfortable that felt to the community at the time that the response was to laugh at how silly that kind of progressive language was. I don't think it would be heard as silly now, although maybe it would. I, I don't think it would be perceived as silly now. I mean, I think if we started saying that at PAS, I actually think the kids would find it totally natural. I'm not sure they would skip a beat. I think some adults would definitely notice. Um, and I sort of similar to your story, Aaron, feel similar, feel similarly about Kipot, right? Trying to enforce that male students wear a kippah and encourage female students to do so. It it's it feels awkward. And I I want to treat all students equally, but there's kind of mixed messaging that keep wearing is really only expected by men. So it's like hard to figure out how to talk about in a non-gendered way. It's pretty clear to me that even with the best intentions at heart, we're all a little mixed up about the clearest and most helpful way to talk about gender with kids. So which brings us to our guest today, Dubs Weinblatt is the Associate Director of Education and Training for Metro New York for Keshet, an incredible organization, which you must Google now, and the founder and executive producer of Thank You for Coming Out, a podcast and live improv show celebrating the LGBT community, LGBTQ community. I will also add that they are currently the subject of a documentary being filmed by Ari Beezer. Yes, the same Ari Beezer who is biologically related to me. My brother is following them while they physically transition to better affirm their genderqueer identity and embarking upon a journey to their adult b'mitzvah, which we cannot wait to hear all about, a gender neutral approach to the traditional Jewish coming of age ceremony. Dubs, welcome to the show. We are so happy that you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and honored, truly. 
start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your relationship to Judaism and your relationship to gender specifically in the Jewish community. Sure. I'm going to kind of answer them all at once. (laughs) So I grew up in Columbus, Ohio in the 80s and 90s in a reform synagogue um, in a very Jewish suburb of Columbus. It was a 2.44 square mile city and there were three synagogues within that area. For me, I loved really being uh, part of my Jewish community. I went to the JCC preschool and was in Hebrew school and Sunday school, but there was always this kind of disconnect for me growing up. And for two reasons, one I was aware of and one I wasn't aware of. The one I was aware of was when I looked at families and adults in my life, I only saw who I perceived as men and women in relationships. And I knew for me that my relationship would look different, but there was no one modeling that. There was no out Um, LGBTQ people that I was aware of in my communities, any of them, especially the Jewish communities. And so that already started sending me implicit messaging of you're alone in this and there's no one like there's no one like you. And then the other piece was I didn't realize that I was also struggling with my gender identity. I kind of thought it was all on the sexual orientation, though I didn't have any of this language back then. So so moving through my life, kind of holding both of those things was really challenging for me, um, especially when I got to my bat mitzvah where I truly, with every fiber of my body, did not want to have this bat mitzvah. I did not want to become a woman. I did not want to stand in front of my community and my friends and my family and and have this, you know, rite of passage. I I didn't want to, and I didn't know why, and I didn't know how to explain it. And there was no one offering me alternatives. It was always, it was this or nothing. And I wasn't even allowed to choose nothing. I had to do it. And then, you know, and then going into high school, I was part of BBYO. It's a youth group um, where the model is very similar. It actually is a fraternity sorority. And so it was the most binary it could be. And that also felt uncomfortable for me, but all my friends were doing it. And so I kind of just did it. And so, you know, and then within BBYO was like the dances and the um, really gendered language and the rituals. And um, it was very much like boys versus girls and at the conferences or whatever we called those conventions. Then I got and went to college. I went to Ohio State, which was a stone's throw from where I grew up and was active in Hillel. And um, once I, I came out as gay it, when I was 20. And so I then like really was proud of that identity, still am. And became president of Jewish Queers and Allies at my Hillel. It started to feel really confusing. And at the time, no rabbis were allowed to marry same gender couples. So that was also a pretty explicit signal of a you're not welcome in our religion in this way. So once I graduated from Ohio State, I kind of felt like I had like all of the like structured, quote unquote, Jewish spaces ended like Hillel. I felt like the last the last one. And so, and I wasn't aware of any synagogues or other kinds of organizations or spaces that were like explicitly welcoming of LGBTQ people. So I felt like I had to choose between my Jewish identity and my queer identity. And I chose my queer identity. And so for the next decade almost, I forgot about Judaism and focused on other parts of my life and realized at 29 that I'm a genderqueer person. And that kind of like opened up my entire world for me. And, and then a few years later, I still feel, I still felt like there was like this big part of me was missing and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then it dawned on me that it was my Judaism. I missed that part of my, my being myself, my community. And so I, through lots of magic, got a job at Keshet. And the rest is kind of history. So I, I, I tell that extended version um, because I think it really highlights kind of like each touch point of a kiddo's 
life and their experiences specifically within the Jewish community actually for real has an, an impact on them and how they relate to Judaism and where they see themselves reflected and do they feel like they belong. Um, I also completely forgot about summer camp. <laughs> I went to day camp and did not go to Jewish overnight camp because I didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back, it's absolutely, I didn't want to be in the girls bunk and I didn't know how to talk about that. And, and truly still now there are very few choices where kiddos can go to camp um, and feel affirmed in a, in a gender queer identity uh, in an all gender bunk. That's not to say that they can't be in a gendered bunk, but it's different. So for me, my relationship to Judaism is right now in this moment of healing and in this moment of learning and relearning and undoing and redoing, which is why having the thought of having an, a B mitzvah is really enticing to me because I get to kind of redo that moment on my own terms and in a way that's really affirming and celebratory. Well, mazel tov <laughs> Thank on your you. B mitzvah. Can't wait to hear more about that. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that, your story. I feel like there's a, a lot to unpack there, but I'll go to one specific follow-up question, which is what is the larger conversation on gender that is important to have in Jewish communities? So this is, it's a really big question. It's a really, really, really big question. I think the larger, and, and this kind of ties into what you both were talking about of, you know, all of the stereotypes and, you know, wanting to quote unquote normalize. And I want to throw in another word, destigmatize different identities and not thinking about people with gender identities other than boy and girl as other and trying to you trying to take that word out of our vocabulary because even just saying um wanting others to feel comfortable is othering so really being intentional about how we talk about gender and how we talk about our rituals and our communities and our sacred texts and all of that it's really important to to think expansively about that. And then another piece of it is thinking about how cis normativity kind of seeps into every single thing that we do. And so cis normativity is this idea that being cisgender, so someone who identifies with the gender that they were assigned at birth, and a lot of times before they're even born, right? So we have these gender reveal parties, um, which then gives no space for a kiddo to be anything other than what they were assigned at birth. It's, it's, it's set in stone from before they're born. So, so cisnormativity is this idea that every single person identifies with what they were assigned at birth and that it's a binary gender, it's boy or girl. And so our world, our community, well, I don't wanna say world, I'm gonna say the United States and our communities um, are built based on cisnormativity. What, what traditions are we doing that, and how are we talking about Judaism, and how are we talking about families that could inadvertently make a kiddo feel like they don't belong in a space? And adults, too. I, I know we're talking about kiddos here, but, you know, I was in my 30s before I started healing from my past traumas with Judaism. To kind of tie it back to, is it that people are aspiring to a certain way of being perceived in your community and, or are there gender diverse people and they don't know that it's safe and comfortable to come out. So it really is people of all ages who need this breaking out of the binary conversation and awareness. I'm curious if there's a concept of gender that, that you've found meaningful in some of our core Jewish texts, like Torah, rabbinic tradition, the Talmud, the Mishnah. How does this concept inform the way that we can talk more inclusively about gender in our learning spaces? I hope this is a space to be completely honest. <laughs> the truth is, I really struggle with this. 
I personally couldn't think of anything because I, I am, I am still in a healing learning mode. I will say like thinking about B'Tselem Elohim that we're all made in the image of the divine, right? So that is something that, that sticks with me and helps me kind of remind myself that I am part of a community, part of this specific Jewish community. And I, so I, I asked my teacher and the director of education and training at Keshet, Rabbi Micah Bakyel. And it was interesting because, you know, they are trans rabbi and they've been in this work for a really long time and also said, we have to work really hard to find spaces that are affirming, that our ancestors don't have the language to affirm gender in a way that is affirming now, but also they do have the language to talk about dignity and respect. And so, you know, treating everyone with respect and you were once a stranger in the land. And so how do we interpret that? And there is, um, there is gender diversity in sacred texts. And I can, I don't know if you have like a resource page, but I can send that to you. But in that, in that there are seven quote unquote, other genders um, besides man and woman in our tradition. Those are more so talking about bodies than gender identity, but that's just an example of how this conversation around gender has evolved over time. I think that's part of part of what, what makes it so challenging is that there aren't a ton. And again, I'm not well-versed in this. And so there are people who study this day in and day out. There's Svara scholars, I should say, that are, are doing this work a lot. And I'm so I'm slowly starting to learn what they're putting out because I don't know that I'm quite ready to, to, to be there. It also feels challenging to have to work so hard to reinterpret something to see myself included. And that's a challenge. And so then what else can the Jewish community do to make affirming spaces and to um, make sure that that everyone, all Jews, feel seen and respected and celebrated. So it's kind of a non-answer, but I, I hope that's not so disappointing. It's it's like archaeological work because just like, you know, layers upon layers of, well, first it was just men's voices and then we added women and now LGBTQ ways of reinterpreting the text. It is, it's work, but it's work that we have to, as a community, undertake for all of us, not just, you know, kind of, oh, well, we've heard women's voices, check plus, let's stop the work there, but to keep to keep digging, to unearth more and more voices in the text for all of us is kind of also what I hear you saying that it's work, but it's work we need to do. Yeah. Then what do we do in our communities and schools, right? If that's, we're coming from a place of there's Adam and Eve in the Torah and there mostly were male rabbis interpreting those texts in the beginning. And of course we've evolved and we've society and our religion is, is evolving and changing, but that is part of our, a big part of our tradition. So kind of with that in mind, Dobbs, like what work for, you know, from, from your perspective, what work can and should communities and schools do around this conversation about gender, right? Where should educators begin? Because I think that most of the amazing educators I know, like they want to create inclusive classrooms. They don't want to be, you know, saying things that will make their students feel alienated. But like you said, I think if you do, you know, if you are cisgendered, sometimes that's just the lens in which you see the world. Where should our educators begin? What are some tools? What's some advice? Like what can our Hebrew schools, our day camps, our Jewish day schools, our synagogues um, do around this conversation about gender? Yeah, also huge question. And I love it. <laughs> um, a lot of things put on that helmet or that, you know, awareness of where cisnormativity is starting to appear in spaces. My, my friend and colleague, Justin Rosensmolen, came up with this activity. And so we basically broke out the schedule of camp on a grid. 
And we said, how does this moment in the day, like as a cisgender camper, how would they experience this? Would you think? And how would an LGB camper experience this moment? And how would a trans or non-binary camper experience this moment? And we had them go through, have camp directors and counselors go through each moment. And so what happens is we start to see this awareness of, okay, we can understand some campers experiencing this in this moment and, you know, like, you know, changing in the, in the cabin, it starts to break down the ideas and it starts to shine a light on where, where changes can be made. And so I could, I would love to encourage all Jewish professionals to maybe make a grid and to go through their day of interacting with their community and saying, okay, what specific ritual or practice or norm is in place that could actually be alienating that I didn't mean for it to be alienating. So that's a really big one. I went to my cousin's bat mitzvah a few years ago. And so before we were allowed in, the rabbi said, you know, welcome, blah, 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 blah. All men must must wear kippot. And then scanned quickly, looked at me, made an assumption that I was a woman, saw that I was wearing a, a kippah, and said, oh, and women can too. So not only was this assumption made about my gender identity was wrong, but then it was an afterthought. It was a very clearly an afterthought. So I felt like a rushed afterthought and also misgendered. So what happened in that moment was I was embarrassed. I felt shame. Um, I felt very vulnerable. And even as a, as a very out vocal genderqueer trans Jewish professional, um, I'm still subject to feeling that way. And because uh, I'm human, right? And so then I was disconnected that whole rest of the time. I was really challenging to stay present for my cousin. And I say this story because it's in those moments where a rabbi or a leader of a community thinks they're being inclusive. When in actuality, it was, I would have preferred nothing over what just happened. And so really thinking about our language and the impact of how we talk about things, making sure that we're using the most affirming words that we can, taking out the word preferred when we're talking about pronouns and names. Pronouns and names aren't a preference. They are an integral part of people's identities, right? It's not, I don't prefer that you do this. I, I demand it because it's part of how you can respect me in like a nice way. <laughs> thinking about, and, and Aaron, what you, the story you shared earlier um, about the moment haunting you about um, boys and girls and then how you, you evolved to, to saying identify as, and that still wasn't as inclusive as could be. In our, in, and so what I really liked about what you said is um, that we as a community and as leaders need to constantly be reevaluating and pushing and learning and understanding that what was quote unquote the right way to do something yesterday or five minutes ago doesn't mean it's the right way to do it now because we are humans and we are always learning more about how to be the most inclusive and how to be the most affirming. And so really inviting leaders and educators to internalize that so deeply of, okay, so it worked then, but maybe not now. And if people are laughing, right? So it's our jobs as as educators, as leaders, as adults in the room to stop that immediately. Was that funny? Or I don't understand the joke. Can you explain to me? Because a lot of times people don't even know why they're laughing. They're just socialized to, to think something sounds or, or feels funny. Um, and so it's our job to interrupt that, interrupt that harm. When you see someone laughing at something that's intended to, to be more inclusive, that's also really hurtful. And so 
interrupting those harmful moments is a crucial part of this conversation. In your classroom, what books are on the shelf? What kind of diversity are we teaching and are we talking about? And not only just around gender, but family structure, right? And it's not only for LGBTQ people, right? There are families with one adult or a guardian or a grandparent or an aunt, right? It doesn't always, it's not always a mom and a dad. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a, a queer family. And so when we create space for LGBTQ people, we're also creating space for a whole diversity of people. What, what behaviors are we normalizing and celebrating? And I know that you, you both had kind of talked about the, like the stereotypes and like about the Barbies. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't teach them this, but this is their choice. Right. And I think that's, that's okay. Right. Like, I think part of what gets confused in this conversation is that we're trying to remove gender out of everything and that we're trying to make everybody non-gender, non-conforming, right? And that's actually not the conversation most of us are having. What we're trying to say is that, I'll just speak for myself uh, and my colleagues though, is that we just want to create space for everybody. And there's nothing wrong with a girl wanting to play with dolls. There's nothing wrong with that at all. What's wrong is saying that a boy can't play with dolls or that a girl can't play with Legos or whatever it might be. Um, and then even in what I just said was so binary, right? And so really trying to become aware of those moments and also understanding that we're not trying to take away anything from any kid, regardless of their gender identity, but simply trying to create space for all kids. Uh, one of you mentioned forms and asking for pronouns. Um, how else are we asking about the kids? Are we saying son or daughter's age or, you know, name? Are we asking name for communications and name legal name, right? So all of these really thinking expansively about what kind of messages we're putting out into the community, uh, because it can actually be a barrier for some folks to want to engage. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And thank you so much for all of that. We're going to, we're going to do a rapid fire, very like Brene Brown. We're going to give you a list of some statements that are not phrased maybe in the most affirming ways. And we really want to hear back from you. You know, what would the words, would the words be leaving your mouth? What is the most affirming way to say some of these things? You ready? Great. We love a Brene Brown lightning round. We Let's love a it. Brene Brown lightning <laughs> round. We do. Because that's what all humans can agree on. That Brene yeah. Brown is fabulous. Okay. Yes. At least. Okay. Okay. Jen's leading prayer at Park Avenue Synagogue. All boys go put a kippah on right now. Anyone who wants to wear a kippah, please go put one on now. Anyone who feels affirmed by wearing a kippah. Anyone who feels special wearing a kippah. Right? Anyone who feels drawn to wearing a kippah. I know this is a lightning round, but can I just add something? Because there are this is a very who... slow, very slow lightning round. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, it's slow, slow a, lightning. Go a for casual it. round of questioning. The people who we perceive as a certain gender, right? So saying, quote unquote, all boys must wear. We are assuming that everyone who we think is a boy, right? But there might be kids who are struggling internally with their gender identity. And you might be reading them as a boy and they might be presenting as a boy because that's what's safe for them. But inside that might be really challenging for them to be forced to put on a kippah, just like it was really challenging for me to be forced to have a bat mitzvah because it was so unaffirming. So when we open that up, or then we're taking the assumption out of who we think is a boy in that moment. God, when when he created the world in seven days or whatever, because I've actually heard that in a JCP classroom using male pronouns for God. Just using the word God. 
or they them pronouns is a very expansive um, or you could interchange pronouns and use he in one moment and she in another moment and they in another moment. You could also just use a bunch of different Hebrew words instead of using only masculine pronouns or he, him pronouns, I should say. Okay. So training for your, when you guys become a bar or bat or b'nai mitzvah. In my mind, the most ideal situation, you have the option of having a bar mitzvah a bat mitzvah or a b mitzvah or a simcha mitzvah or whatever that neutral version for your community feels good, that all three are presented equally and as celebratory. And it's not, you can have a b mitzvah if you want. Like that's just like a side option. If they're all presented equally, um, because then it, again, that destigmatizes and takes out that otherness, you know, for Aliot instead of Ben or Bot saying me bait. From, so from the house of, because that also expands it for other people too, who might not be, uh, who, you know, who we don't know their family structure or we don't know the like ins and outs of everyone's family. So being able to say from the house of opens that up for, for a lot of people. Awesome. Like not the equivalent of being served like a shrink wrapped prepackaged special meal at the wedding when everyone else is like dining off of like the real food. Like you're saying, here are your all your real options, and this is what it, what it means to affirm and celebrate identity in the Jewish community. Like mm-hmm. laying them all out at once instead of sort of being like, oh, do you need something special? Oh, did I leave you out? I'm sorry. Here, let me go grab it out of the like, you know, the back room where we have the like storage food for, you know, special people. Exactly. And then the other piece of that too is for trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming folks. It's kind of a part of a larger conversation of always having to advocate for ourselves and always having to assert there are there are some Jewish spaces that have normalized and destigmatized the sharing of pronouns. But I would almost argue that the majority of the, the Jewish institutions that I work with all over New York City, all over Westchester, Long Island and in the country, that's actually not something that's that's a, a normal normalized practice. And so having to always ask for what we need instead of it just being already part of the community culture is exhausting. So to have to then advocate and then it feels it does feel othering to have to be like, is there the shrink wrapped meal in the back closet under dust that I could have that is uncomfortable to ask for? Right. So if it's all there, then it's so much it's so much more affirming. Some people don't even know to ask or they right. they like feel like they're on the outs and they're they don't want the bat mitzvah or the bar mitzvah, but they are young. Exactly. And so that's part of a bigger conversation of how are we preparing and talking about gender in inclusive, expansive spaces far before becoming a b-mitzvah, the Shabbat iman abba, right? How that's so exclusionary. Um, and so like the Shabbat person, the Shabbat, or you tell me which Shabbat person you want to be instead of putting that on a kiddo and, and creating that space where kids can explore. and like. Maybe one month or the Shabbat Ima and one month or the Shabbat Abba because it there has become this fabric and the safety in this space where they can explore and no one shames them for saying, but you're a girl, so you have to be the Ima. So it's like, what are those building blocks and what are the foundations that we're creating building up to the B-Mitzvah? So maybe I would almost argue like it wouldn't, by that point, there wouldn't be confusion because we've already laid the groundwork that whole way. And right, and this is like in the most ideal world ever. And so when that isn't right, there still are the fail safes of these are all of the options and none of them are stigmatized or one's better than the other. Please help me fix this. I have here, I hear teachers say this all the time. 
when your mother lights Shabbat candles. Just take it apart in, in all the ways that it could be a little bit better. I think when when you're adult, when your adult likes candles, because then that takes out any assumption of family structure or who you live with or who you have this ritual with when you're adult, because there might be a family that has two dads. And so there isn't a mother lighting the Shabbat candles. So simply just saying, um, or when, when, when the special person in, in your life um, lights the candles, um, or maybe even asking who lights the candles um, is probably the best option. Yeah, especially in a community like that has already acknowledged the diversity of Jewish practice, the assumption around the word when, right? Like, have you ever seen anybody light candles for Shabbat? Because not everybody lives in a home where anybody's lighting anything for any Jewish holiday and is still part of a Jewish community and sending their kids to Hebrew school. So there's just like every single word in that sentence could just be like reflected on and, and improved just a little bit. But mm-hmm. especially thinking about the grown-ups that people have around them and the gender roles of who does what. Awesome. Yeah. So take me back to my moment and I'm leading Shabbat services and I want to divide the room. I want to divide the room in a lot of different ways and I want to do it better. So help me divide the room. Great. Um, Everyone who likes chocolate ice cream to the left, everyone who likes vanilla ice cream to the right, right? Are you a, are you a Yankees fan or a Mets fan, right? Are you a um, short hair to the left, right? Long hair to the right. Um, dogs or cats, right? And, and, and everything I'm saying is so binary, yet it is taking gender out of it completely. Birthdays, January through June, July through December. Favorite number between, you know, whatever it might like, you know, people who love red to the right, people who love blue to the left. Uh, and then tomorrow it's purple and pink, you know, like whatever it might be. There are infinite ways of dividing a room that is not gender based. And those are just a small handful. So Jen, what are some takeaways that you have from this conversation today? So first I want to say I was nodding along a lot. I know this is going to be audio when our listeners listen to it, but I was nodding along a tremendous amount. I think a few things that I took notes about are this idea of having role models, I think is really important and being thinking about who are our rabbis and our cancers and our educators and our grownups in our lives. And if we have control over bringing in role, more role models for kids to look at and to see themselves in the, the destigmatization and also the awareness part. I think those sort of arguably go together. And then also like using affirming language and also constantly reevaluating language. Like I think also part of what is hard is like being nervous that you're going to say the wrong thing or it's awkward or it's uncomfortable, but I think it's better to try it out. <laughs> Like I think in the beginning, I used the, I said preferred pronouns. So I think I should be saying pronouns, but if I don't say it and make a mistake, like, so it's awkward. And I, you, I get corrected and we move forward. And if you're trying to create an inclusive space and you make a mistake, it's okay. It's probably better than not going to the uncomfortable place of, you know, trying on the new language, trying not to use, trying to use non-binary language. Hopefully we'll get it right. (laughs) That's the end goal. But if we get it wrong, we're, we're trying Aaron. What are your takeaways? I think part of the problem for me as an educator is both the lack of imagination, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the chaos. If I don't just do it the way we've always done it, it's going to be messy. We expect things to be traditional. And when you have a tradition that it should always be the way that it was and 
And I think there's more work to be done to reinvent traditions so that they reflect the world around us. And the world around us includes folks of all affiliations and gender and sexual orientation and, and, and everyone. Everyone is part of the Jewish community and everyone needs to be included in that story. So thank you so much, Doves. So that we always know that this work and this conversation is ongoing, we like to end with a question. Um, I do, but can I, am I allowed to respond to your takeaways? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I just feel like I'm making my own rules here, but I, um, I just really appreciate them all very much and just want to really uplift and highlight this idea of the idea of trying and making mistakes. And because that's where the real learning happens. That's if we're not getting, we have to stretch ourselves to grow and we have to, we have to move into that discomfort and knowing that when somebody corrects you, that's actually a gift. It's a precious gift that someone feels safe enough to say, actually, what you said actually just hurt me or here's a better, here's a more affirming word for this. Right. And so trying, and again, trying not to take any of that personally, I mean, it's not a judgment on you you, you two or you in the world, we're in this together. And I trust you enough to share with you this thing that hurt me, that you didn't tend to hurt me, but it did. And here's how we can, how we can move forward. That's how we grow is making the mistakes. And as Brene says, like daring greatly and, and falling, we don't know where we're going to land, but either way, we're going to learn something from it. And it's really important. I actually ask this in all my trainings and it's think of a time when you were able to bring your full self into a space and you didn't have to check a certain part of your identity at the door, you could just be in a space, fully celebrated, fully affirmed. What did that feel like? And how did you know that you were fully affirmed? How did that moment of authenticity affect your relationship with the community that you were with? And then how can you take that feeling and bring it back to your classroom or to your spaces of making sure that everybody can have that same sense of belonging? We want to hear from you. If you are planning a lesson or there's something that's on your mind, tell us about it. We want this podcast to be useful to you, our fellow educators. Be sure to subscribe to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast channel to download and listen to future episodes of how we talk about. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.